Oh, man, I just lost a chunk of my nest egg in the market whipsaw. Oh, sorry to hear that. Looks like I'll be wearing a yellow apron well into my 70s. Welcome to Wall... Hey, don't get down. Get educated. Listen to the Total Financial Hour with host Arif Halaby Sundays 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. What did you learn? How not to go backwards with the market, my friend, and have the opportunity to move forward with market growth. That's exactly what I need. So learn about your financial power with the Total Financial Hour Sundays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. here on AM870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with me. Hope you're having a great morning. I'm Eric Halloway, the Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future, and boy, do we have a a lot going on this week, do we not? Can you say Supreme Court? Right? Isn't it funny? One side loses and we say, well, you know, that's the way it goes. We're going to have to work harder. We're going to have to vote. We're going to have to change things. Okay. The other side loses and then they, uh, they let the far left part of their party burn it down protest burn things stop traffic you know make people late for things that's pretty incredible it's incredible when you think about who is actually the agitators internally the right the far right certainly has agitators right some of the the kkk types they're so few and far between if you don't think the the justice department is has informants i'm telling you they do and so does big agencies like the city of la and county of los angeles New York, big agencies have people undercover, tattooed up. They look just long hair and beard. They look just like the bad guys in whatever criminal organization, whether it's biker gangs or whether it's um, you know international drug smugglers. It's the the agencies have people inside, except on these far left. At least it doesn't seem that way because they're not stopping any of these uh, atrocities or any of these potential things that are occurring uh, to ruin, if you will, society and our fabric. So I want to encourage you to step back from that a little bit. I'm only going to touch on this for a minute. I've got something, uh, many big things to cover today, including our second hour. We have some emails that I find are striking home more and more with you. So our, we have two emails uh, that we're going to cover in our second hour as well. So stay tuned for that. As we continue... I'm just going to touch on this uh, abortion debate here for just a short bit. Look, 50 years ago, I think our understanding of science was that, what was it, the first trimester wasn't really a person or something. And forgive my ignorance, right? This isn't an issue that's really close to my heart. It just isn't. I have so many other things I'm concerned about. I just chose to not make this one of those. But I need you to ask a question. When is it a human being? 
right? Just, just tell me, like, when is it human life? Is it the day that it's born? Is it uh, the day from conception? Now, I'm going to venture to say it's neither of those, and it's somewhere in between. Now, maybe a doctor could have had a baby that was born survive at six months. Well, let's go, I don't know, let's go eight months, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, then maybe seven months, and then six. So wherever we are today, if a baby can survive, if it is a human life, if it looks like a human being, right? Maybe that's the definition. Does it look like, does it walk, talk, heartbeat, uh, you know, feel pain, happiness, joy, whatever? If it does, then, then that's the time. Eight minutes after conception, probably not. Right? I, I'm willing to, to give up that debate. I, listen, again, as I mentioned, it's not a super passionate thing for me. But when you see these people scream and yell about the ability to kill their own baby because they want an unlimited abortion, they don't want any limitations. Oh, because it's about my body. Well, you didn't say that when they made you take the vaccine or you lost your job. So you lose that bet. It's over. If you said it was your body before and you say it now, you have some integrity. But you marched in line and you took a vaccine because you were supposed to, because they told you to. It wasn't your body. You said, but this is an experiment and nobody's been studying this thing for more than eight weeks and nine, nine months. Okay, great. Why does, is this really? And yet it wasn't your body then. You, you gave up to the federal government because you like the power. You like the rules. So what I want to do is have you dialed down the conversation and say, just ask that question. When is it a person? You know, when is it a human being? Why is it that when I was in law enforcement, if somebody got in a car accident and killed a pregnant lady, a drunk driver at, at seven, eight months, there was a time when we called it a double homicide. So just apply those same standards, right? It's a person then. And now maybe it's also a person when it's six months, uh, six weeks old. I, I, I don't know that. And that's my first point. You see, prior for, to it being its one life, it's your body, your choice, your life. I get it. But after that, didn't, didn't you think there was a dad involved? Aren't there two lives and now maybe three if you have a baby, if you have the father and the mother? So I'm sorry, ladies, that God chose you to carry the baby, but it isn't just your body anymore. It was when you got pregnant and you made that choice. It was afterwards. And then when you want to argue with me about rape and incest, listen, I get it. If you have a minor that's 13, 14 years old and she's pregnant, then you better come to me with a suspect list. Right? I mean, you understand if abortion clinics are privately aborting babies at 13, that are 13 and 14 year old mothers, then you're aiding and abetting after the fact the commission of rape. Because by definition, a minor cannot consent, right? Ask school teachers that are sitting in prison, 16-year-old boys having sex with knockout 24-year-old high school cheerleading coaches. Sorry, prison teacher. Ask the male science teacher, right? Ask the, what was he? He was an English teacher in the junior high school that I attended. As far as I know, he's still married to his teenage bride because he married her so he didn't go to prison. Yeah, I mean, we know who, who he is. Everybody knew. Right. He, he needs to go to jail. If you, if you impregnate a, somebody under the age of 18, maybe the age of consent is 17. I don't know. 
But if you're going to say it's for the betterment of that child, then an uncle, brother, son, somebody's got to go to jail for this, people. Because that's how you value the life of the 13-year-old. Maybe the answer is still that she has to give it up for adoption, or maybe I, I don't know those answers. And any of you that are screaming and yelling, that are postmenopausal women who think you know the answer, who know by definition you cannot get pregnant anymore, you're just the same as what? Uh, a 60-year-old guy who's screaming and yelling. Oh, but if it's my right. You're not going to ever get pregnant again. Oh, I'm talking for other people. All right, I got you. Tell me when it's a baby. That's it. And then before that, it's her choice only, period. After that, it seems like there's three lives involved. Uh, help me understand because I'm, I'm not logical. I mean, I'm trying to be logical about this and not emotional. And if a 14 or a 15-year-old is pregnant by a 14 or a 15-year-old boy, there's still juvenile hall that must be, right? I mean, I've spent a lot of time as a police officer arresting or uh, detaining or dealing with the, the, the unlimited family crises that come from this stuff. Now, maybe today, it's been 30 years, guys, so maybe today they don't do that anymore. I don't know. Maybe they just let everybody, you know, frolic in the garden and whatever happens, happens. I don't know the choice, but back in, in my day, as they say, kid, it was a little bit different. So you, you can't have it. And if a lady chooses to end her, her pregnancy prior to the time it's a, a child, then it's just her business. And everybody should get the heck out of it, including the government. But if it's a baby, if it's the first trimester, if it's the second month, again, science, you tell me when it looks like, acts like, walks like, talks like a human being. Right? The old walk like a duck. It's metaphorically speaking, people. Not that the baby's going to come out and do, you know, 76 trombones. The music man. It's not, it's not that. It's simple. So when science says it, right, maybe before it was nine months, maybe seven, now six, now today, four, uh, two months that it looks like, because now we have 3D imaging that can, okay, now we know. So keep that in mind that I don't want you to be somebody who turns around and says, you got to shut down all of society because of emotion. Folks, on both sides, there's crazies. You know it. So please be careful. Be careful jumping into the weeds with these folks on either side, screaming and yelling. Right? The conservatives believe they are saving a life. They believe you are killing a baby. You can say no. You can stomp your foot. But step back with some intelligence for a minute. You don't have to agree with them, but I'm telling you that's what they think. They don't think, oh, I can't wait to restrict her right and his right and her right. I'm going to control this on a woman because for 700 years we've been oppressing women and so. Nobody thinks that. They think it's a baby. If it's not, then you prove it. Say, no, it's not a life. It's not a human life. Here's why. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Great. But that's what they think. They're not evil people. And there's many of you that are conservatives that are pro-life. Or sorry, pro-abortion uh, pro or whatever. Pro-choice. Right? There's some of you. Mostly ladies, probably, because I understand that. Just ask yourself, when is it a human life? Okay, get away from some of this craziness. And after that, 
Other people can decide. Boy, they go after you. Oh, my gosh. Try posting that on social media. No, there's three lives involved. Mom, dad, and a baby. Oh, my gosh. You want us in chains? Burkas. Burkas are next. It's crazy. All right, guys. Enough of that. That's the elephant in the room, as they say, or the donkey in the room, depending on the uh, political party or your persuasion. Here's a couple of things that I want to go over with you. This matters a lot. This has now just come down, and I want to give you these numbers here because this matters a lot to everybody, taxpayer, non-taxpayer, human beings, anybody on this planet who buys, consumes, or goes to work. You might have heard it. It's called inflation. What the Biden administration is doing is pushing more towards the inflation side of things, not less. It's almost like they want to increase the inflation. How will they do that? They will pay student loans from money that doesn't exist. In other words, the government will print money and give it to the student loan carriers or, in fact, from their left pocket to the right pocket. You see, because currently there's about $1.75 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars in federal and private student loan debt as of April 2022. That's relatively new. $1.75 trillion. Do you realize when President Obama took office, it was $500 million. So we have gone up $500 billion. I might have said million. $500 billion. We have gone up $1.25 trillion just since President Obama was elected because he said everybody needs to go to college. Maybe they do, but they need to pay for it. Shouldn't the schools be responsible? High school, uh, you gave a crummy education. You encouraged me to take out student loan debt. And in doing so, you gave me a degree that's worthless out in the society. Now, if I want to go to work and work three jobs or use my inheritance or my 529, my college plan, and I want to take it and I want to go learn about fossils and ancient, uh, you know, the crustaceans of the whatever 20th fifth century. Fine. I can do that. It's my money. The professors will be employed. They'll receive my money. It's a hobby, an avocation. Maybe I believe there's a need for it. So I'm going to go out and, you know, trailblaze this new trade, this new invention. Okay. There's a place for that. But when you're going to use public money, you're going to bypass the student and on behalf of the student pay for guess who? an education directly to these corrupt colleges and universities. Now you might be thinking, oh, Eric, are you talking about DeVry or ITT Tech? Oh, no, no. It's got to be something like, is it Corinthian? That's the one. Corinthian, that's the latest and greatest. Uh, Folks, yes, 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 and a whole lot more yeses. Because these are the problems that we have. The problems... uh, is simple. Nobody's going to jail for this. Right? When you had the University of Phoenix, here, let me back up. The Biden administration is giving out loan forgiveness to more than 150 schools, including, ready for this? The University of Phoenix, DeVry University, ITT Tech. Remember that? Used to have one of their top administrators as a client. 
The amount of money these guys got paid, I have no idea where it came from. Now we do. Surprise. The amount of money, the amount of colleges that took the cash and have no intention of going to jail for the corruptness. That's the problem I have. Look, if you're telling me we're the government, these these kids were scammed. They were fraud was was beholden amongst our young youth that are vibrant and and okay, got it. Now who's going to jail? Or civil penalties, right? Go grab their pensions, grab their money. They have rental properties, I can tell you they do. They have dollars set aside in retirement plans, they do. You go find those people and somebody goes to jail. And then I'm all for the other side of the equation says they go to jail. Why? They were convicted. Yep. They, they were sentenced. Yep. Okay. So now the victims of their crime should not have to pay. Got it. Let's forgive that student loan. But instead, the Biden administration realizes those unions are specifically involved with paying him. And they funnel federal money directly and indirectly to all of these institutions. They come out the other side. They go through your paycheck into union dues. Union dues pay for the Democrat Party. And we start all over again. And you end up with colleges and universities like Harvard and Yale with billions. That is a B. Right? This is a big number, folks, because the endowment for Harvard University is billions. So let's break it down. You see, my date is about seven months, eight months old. 41, almost $42 billion. You ready for this? $42 billion for Harvard's Endowment. Harvard could pay for every single student to attend their university. I want to say it's the next 50 years for free. Yale has 31 billion. That's a pretty good number, folks. 31 billion for Yale. Stanford, remember Stanford? Oh, that Palo Alto, come on, poor. 29 billion in endowments, and they still are taking money from the poorest amongst us, right? Because understand this, if you're rich, whatever that number means to the left, whatever, if you're rich, you, you don't qualify for a lot of student aid. So there is no government money and there's very few student loans and you usually pay for it yourself. Got it. So who do they take advantage? These mega monolith, enormous organizations that are billions and billions of dollars. Who do they take advantage of? That's right, the young and often minority student. And they, they promise them these crazy dreams and they indoctrinate them with the far left. And at the end, they come out with massive student loan debt. Princeton University, near $26 billion. MIT, what a weakness. Ugh. MIT, $18 billion. What are you, slacker? University, uh, U of Penn, remember University of Penn? Yeah, one of the Ivy League schools, University of Pennsylvania. It's nice, yeah. $15 billion. And don't worry, Texas, you, you kind of jump right up in the middle of there with your Texas A&M out of College Station, Texas. Love it, actually. It's an amazing community, amazing school. Their endowment, uh, 12.7. You get the point, guys? 
And you Catholics out of Notre Dame, my gosh, the Fighting Irish, 12.3. But nobody holds a candle to Harvard and Yale's combined amount near $75 billion. Just those two schools. So ask yourself, guys, do they really need now? Oh, Arab student loans aren't for them. It's for that little guy, for the Cal State, whatever. Cal State, whatever. They need the money. Really? Here's what I want you to do. You just go and you ask, how many hours do teachers teach? Oh, but but I have to grade papers and I have office hours. Great. So, uh, wait, I thought you had, didn't you have grad students that help you? Oh, isn't it interesting? You teach upper division. You have four classes you teach. That's four hours. Let's call it five or six a week. You have you have a computer tests these days, just so you know. The computer grades it, scores it. Now, not the essay. I get it. But that's why you have the free labor called the grad students. They're the ones that help teach. Now, I love my professor clients. But understand, many of these private universities still do the sabbatical. Sabbatical. What does sabbatical mean? It means that the professor is so overworked and knowledge is so scarce in how it comes to that university that they must send that professor out every seventh year. Sabah in, in Latin, it's seven. Arabic, it's seven. Sabbatical, that's where it comes from. You send them out every seven years to go learn. We will pay you for one year and you go research, go learn. Go meet with people and and take courses and and deepen your knowledge. <clears throat> uh, sorry, uh, internet. Yeah, sorry, internet. Did, did did the internet happen to come up in any time in the last twenty five years? Just checking, because I thought knowledge comes to you for free. And I know you needed to meet face to face, but there used to be this thing called Skype. I know we call it Zoom now. It's very similar, but kind of completely different. And now you can meet face to face. Oh. Aerial drone coverage will actually show you the archaeology or really so interesting. And yet these universities are still sending off people for their one every seven years. Now, maybe some of them don't go for one every 14 years. I don't know, or 10 years. But all of that is fully paid. Can you imagine taking a vacation that's fully paid for a year? And then when you work, you're working seven, eight months out of the year. All right, Eric, stop beating up teachers, professors. I'm not. I'm being a bit a, a bit sarcastic. And I want them to do well. I need them to educate in their field. Don't talk about social justice. That's the biggest scam fraud ever besides communism. Right? The devil is really good. He just doesn't call it satanic. He calls it envy and greed. And the same thing, right? Social justice, envy and greed. So if you're a university and you have $40 billion, explain to me why you need student loan money. Even if you're a university, let's go down to the bottom of the barrel here. And let's just find somebody that has, oh, I don't know, $500 million, which is almost all schools of any repute, really, 500 million. And your interest on that, even if it's in the crummiest of, a, of the crummy, is one, $2 million a year. 
Now explain to me why you need to take money from those poor minority students and, and put them in prison, in, in, in debtor's prison, if you will, chains for life because it's 25, 30 years. The best hardworking years of their life they have to pay. So you can't have it both ways. Either you're delivering a rock-solid education and you can prove it. Why? Because you're going to put your money behind it. Or two, you're going to have me borrow money so that I can pay you student loans, but I am going to make a killing. I'm going to be the best engineer because your school said it. I'm going to be the best uh, draftsman. Why? Your, your school said it. You told me. So the student loan debacle. So what is Biden doing here? It's very simple. He's running down this version of saying, I'm going to give everybody either complete forgiveness or I'm going to forgive $10,000 or I'm going to forgive. Right. He keeps nickel and diming it. But when you find that money from air and then you pump it into the system and the student goes to work and makes money, but instead of paying off a previous debt, they now get to spend that money on something else then that means that dollar now buys $2 worth of goods and services. But there's only $1 worth of goods and services. So what do you think happens to that one good and one, that one piece of, uh, of item? Right? When there's $2 fighting for it, it goes up in cost. It's called inflation. So you can't do this. You have to either provide better value and then the cost of goods and services and value go with it. Or what you do is you have to let them pay their debts. It stinks. It's horrible. I feel bad for these guys. They got suckered. They should be able to sue the educational institution and the deans and the professors. That's what they should do. All of it should come out in the wash, as they say. And we'll figure it out. Thanks for being with me as we continue with the second hour. Second half hour, actually. <laughs> your place for news talk and information air of halaby triple eight 99 retire figure it out triple eight 99 retire that's 888-997-3847 i'll be right back Arab makes your money work for you learn about financial power the total financial power learn about financial power the total financial financial security will help you live the life you dream learn about financial power the total financial hour now higher income strategy learn from hey thanks for staying with me i'm eric howley the total financial hour your place for news talk and information this is am 870 the answer let me give you the number one more time it's triple eight ninety nine retire that's eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven and let me give you the email address as well because we're going to be uh going over a couple of your emails at the uh top of the next hour it's arif a-r-i-f at t-f-s stands for total financial solutions but it's t-f-s wealth.com t-f-s wealth.com i i look i'm talking about student loan debt and how it's impacting you as a retiree here's what's going to happen i believe it's going to be pretty serious I believe what's going to happen is the Biden administration is going to need to raise money. They're going to have to. 
they can only do so much on income tax because most people have loopholes to not pay income tax. In fact, in the state of California, there are so many loopholes to not pay income tax, there's about 43% of Californians pay nothing in income tax. You follow me? Zero, nothing. That means you pay for them. Okay, so now maybe you're one of them that, that don't pay anything. Fine. Listen, just like Donald Trump, I'm saying play by the rules. Don't do anything sneaky. Don't go to jail. You don't have to. Rich people make the rules. They make the rules to benefit themselves, their friends, and their family. That's why they create loopholes. That's why they make you say, look over here. It's about income tax. Oh, over here. Oh, 1% pays uh, 90% of the income tax in the state. Oh, hurt me. And then over here on this side, what do they do? Oh, the gasoline tax. Everybody pays that. Payroll tax. Even the poor minimum wage guy. Even the mom of three who's a maid, single lady, yep, she pays it. Everybody pays payroll tax. That's important you know that because what do you think they're going to change? I think they're going to go after payroll tax. Which remember, the way it works is it's half and half. You pay half and your employer pays half. And the reason the state of California is doing this, it's why they went after Uber, they went after state farm representatives, uh, other organizations that have 1099 employees, right? Where you're an independent contractor because they're making the pool, the data, uh, uh, sorry, the, 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 the pool of people, the employee group is much larger now that they won that case for 1099s being employees. Now by doing that, now they can raise taxes on that group. Because half of it is paid by the employee, half of it is paid by the employer. That's why employers want you on 1099. So we don't have to pay that extra amount to the government. But you have to be a legitimate 1099. There's a set of rules. If you don't meet those set of rules, then you're an employee. It's very simple. And so they really broaden that, that, that rule base to narrow the amount of people that could not have to pay payroll tax. It has nothing to do with income tax. That's the big noise that the far left, the Democrat, massive Democrat donors, that's the one thing they want you to do. It's about oh, 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 fairness, right? The F word. Be very clear on this. There is no such thing as fair. It does not exist. It is a figment of someone's imagination or more importantly, their ideology. Because you realize if I think something's fair, I'm going I'm to use the, it's fair, it's fair. It's fair to take from you. You, you. you use more of that than I do. So we should take more from you and then less from you. That's, that's what Arab thinks is fair. Oh, oh, Mary thinks this is fair. We're going to go after those rich people because those rich people, they have more stuff. But why is it fair? Well, because it's just not right for them to have more and me to have less. Oh, well, that seems fair to me. Right? You realize the ability for fairness to be so arbitrary and move with the waves and come and go and, and flip this side or that. It, it's a very, I, I guess the right word is, it's an overused term at the very least. And it's evilly implemented at the worst. That's why the word social justice to me, you guys, is I think one step over, not this side of, but over the side of fascism, dictatorship, and even communism. Because instead of saying, yeah, but I like, 
I like having this hamburger. It's a great place. I want to eat this hamburger. Oh, but you don't understand. They support, you know, pro-life causes that are making it so women. What? I just, can I just have a hamburger and fries, please? Oh, well, you don't understand. You're, you're going to go and shop at that car dealership that pollutes the air. Well, everything pollutes the air. That's why we have trees. Aren't trees supposed to take the carbon monoxide out of the air? The carbon dioxide? Huh. When I was in college, I was in an oceanography class. Believe it or not, one of my favorite classes. There was, I don't know, 10 minutes or so that I thought I might be an oceanographer. I really, really enjoyed it. Fascinating. And you guys know this. It's the professors. They're the ones that decide if, if you like the subject or not. My math was that way. Uh, science, if you had a good professor, it was amazing. If you had a crummy teacher, you, you dreaded it. But So I had an amazing oceanography professor in college. And one of the things that he said that was pretty interesting was we have more trees on Earth today than we did. Sorry, in the United States. He used the United States. We have more trees in the United States today than when Columbus discovered America. Now, when you think about that, this was all before the far left was running around doing the global warming crusade thing. And he said that, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Well, first of all, how do you know? I always question that. Like, really? Who went one, two, three, four, right? Who, who counts these trees? Oh, shoot. Number 75 just got knocked down in a storm. 73, 74, right? Who counts that? I don't know. But for whatever reason, oceanography man seems to know what he's talking about. The professor is a good man. So I thought to myself, let me think about this, see if it even makes sense, right? I'm a logical guy. So I went through and I started looking, and here's why it mattered. Look at all the neighborhoods in the valleys where trees never existed because they were flat. They were barren. No natural trees could exist. Because there wasn't a water source that rose to the surface. There wasn't uh, the, the initial planting. And then take a look at all the sides of the strip mountain. Boy, these four deforestation, they're taking off all those trees. Oh, wait, what is that little thing over there? They're planting even more trees. So right now, it's right around four or five trees are planted for every one that's removed. Because remember, they're greedy son of a guns. Their business is what? taking out trees and turning it into paper and wood and so you can have a home. Guess what they want more of? Trees so they can take it out of paper and put it into a home. So it's in their best interest to plant a lot more trees. But if they're not the big, massive oak and redwood trees, you're right, they're not. And and I understand we, we do have a forest called the Sequoia National Forest. I I never understood. I'm not pro or against it. It doesn't it doesn't affect me, right? There's some things I just don't want to spend the energy on. And these people that go climbing up into these old oak trees and, and these redwoods, I, I don't understand. Like, like I, I went to one of them. I'll give you a good example. And I asked her, the lady that was uh, at the up a, up a tree in, in uh, Santa Clarita many years ago. And I said, uh, why are you there? Well, because I want to save the tree. For the next generation, I go, but, but what does the next generation get out of it? I, I, I don't know. Well, because it's a tree and we want to save it. And and it became a circular argument and I didn't understand. There was no logical end. By, and so that we could make a bigger house someday. Oh, well, that's cool. It'll help people. Okay. Or so that we could provide more jobs. Nope. I, and I, I thought, does it 
clean more air, right? Because it's a larger tree, it cleans more air. But what if there's four little guys, could they clean more air, not susceptible to disease, as in one tree could go away real quick, but four could last, right? Because maybe one will be knocked down, but the other three will. Right? So I look at it from like that logical standpoint. And in the end, I just decided that's just not an issue that I care about. Right. Once I realized I looked at various data and I actually flew over Alaska, not for this reason, but I was going fishing. And as we were flying in this small little plane, I looked and they had uh, stripped sides of the mountains of trees. And I looked and I could see little things. And I asked the pilot, I said, what is that little stuff down there? And he said, oh, they planted more trees. And I went ding, ding, ding. Okay, today it doesn't matter, but 15 years from now, it's going to make a big difference. Now, I'm not talking about the Amazon forest. I'm not educated in that world, so let's not go there. But I do understand that this crazy world of screaming and yelling from one amazing issue to another tells me a couple of big things. And one of those, it's very simple. The government's job is to find a way to take money from you, whatever the social justice, the fairness, the global warming, now it's the abortion debate, it's whatever they can decide to get you excited because they can't have you thinking. Because if you thought, I went to school for this, I got a crummy degree, I still work at Starbucks, uh, what a waste of four years of my life. Right. If, if you came to that conclusion, you would go to the end of the story and say, wait a second, everything I need to know is right on my phone anyway. I don't have to go to four years of French to learn how to say a past participle with a hanging something or other in my phone when I go to Paris. Right. I just go, uh, how do you say, where is the Louvre? And can you tell me where the restroom is? Hold, hold on. Google Translate goes and tells it in French. I'm not saying that's the only answer. But for those of you that took years of French who don't use it, surprise, you could have taken woodworking or you could have taken sewing. You could have taken homemaking and, and, or, or, or I know auto mechanic or air condition repair. You could have taken something that is useful, physical that you can do today that cannot be sent overseas. And yet you borrowed money for some crummy degree Listen, it's not me telling you that. I, I'm happy you went to school. And if it's your money, I, I love it that you spent it on. When somebody comes to me and they said, Eric, I have this ostentatious uh, handbag or shoes or watch. And I, you know, directly or indirectly, they might say they paid for it on their own. I'm happy for you, man. You worked hard. It's your money and you spent it on what you want. I am way more happy than somebody who says, and I borrowed money on my credit card to buy food for my family. But don't worry, my credit is amazing because I paid my student loan on time. Like, wow, how warped of a sense financially have we created people who think this, this unicorn of a thing called a credit score where you're never going to borrow money again in your life because you have your home, you have your car, you might buy a new car someday, you have cash, and, and you're struggling to make ends meet so that your credit score stays above 760. And yet, you're not spending money on the things that you enjoy. You see, retirement is not about sitting around making sure everybody gets their bills paid on time. Of course you want to pay your bills on time. Don't be dumb. Listen to me for a minute. 
But that's not what retirement is about. Where in your calendar book, you have the next hair appointment, the next nail appointment, the doctor visit. Right? That's it. I spoke to a senior recently and I said, hey, so let's have lunch next week. Well, I don't know about next week because I've got doctor's appointments. I go, well, how many? They said three. You have three doctor's appointments next week and there's no time to have lunch or dinner or breakfast. Are you, are you, well, you know, what does it take? Four days to prepare for one appointment. Seniors, you know this. I want you to, I want you to snap out of it because you get one shot at this life and your knees, they're your knees, your knee, your shoulders, your back. They're not going to last forever. And this is probably as good as it's going to get. Now, I know some of you are going in for knee surgery and they're going to get a new one and it's better. Got it. But for most of you, you got to fight for this life. And if you're worried about the stock market taking away your retirement income, if you can't sleep at night, but you're making sure all your visa bills are paid on time and your student loan debt, look, we have 160,000, probably right around 160, 165,000 Americans that are currently collecting social security. That means they're, they have a social security check coming to them and their wages are garnished by the IRS because they didn't pay a previously committed to student loan. Is that incredible? You have people that are collecting social security, meaning they probably need it to live on. Not all of them, but they probably do most of them. And then the government says, oh, we're going to take it back to pay for that student loan you co-signed for, for your 54 year old son. Or remember in, 19, uh, in, in 2008 when you went back to school because you needed a master's because you got as far as you thought you could get as a bachelor's and you were worried about losing your career. So you went back to school and you got a master's degree. No student aid, but don't worry, we have student loans, says President Obama. Because at that time, student loans were now forbidden to be private. It's now all set up into the federal government. So the IRS was set up by President Obama to be the enforcement arm of collecting your student loan debt. So your student loan debt now, if you don't pay, eventually they can take away your passport. Any licenses that you have, nursing license, doctor license, uh, physician, pharmacy tech, contractor's license, taxi driver license, any kind of driver's license, anything nursing over gone because you didn't pay your student loan debt. They can keep you from leaving the federal government. They can keep you from driving a car. Because you didn't pay your student loan debt. Now, do you think you didn't pay your student loan debt and started Social Security because you had this big pile of cash sitting around and you're just rolling around it on your king-size bed? Or just maybe you were struggling? Huh. I'm guessing on the struggling part. So then what happens is these 150, 160, 170,000 Americans that are collecting Social Security, having their wages garnished by the IRS because they can't pay their student loan debt. A big part of that isn't just their debt, believe it or not. It's your children or grandchildren. That's why never co-sign, never co-sign on student loan debt. Never. Well, if she's so smart, she can be the next, got it? Never co-sign on student loan debt. She needs to work in the summer. She needs to take a semester off. She needs to work weekends, whatever it is. Oh, but you don't understand how hard it is. Then she needs to have roommates. I get it, guys. 
Uh, I would buy a large pizza in my pickup. I had a 1976 Chevy Love pickup with a camper shell and a little carpet kit in the back. And the reason was very simple because I could sleep back there in between classes or in between jobs because I would work all night sometimes doing security. But I'd buy a large pizza and that would be two, two and a half meals, believe it or not. Right? Because you'd eat eat and I'd never eat the whole thing because you'd have something else and then I'd go back to work then I'd eat it for a snack. I mean, you'd get two or three meals out of a large pizza, guys, and maybe it was 6 or $10 back then. That's $2, $3 a meal? I could do that. You have to be creative. The one thing my parents gave me, well, they gave me a lot, but one thing they gave me was I'd always have a place to stay and I'd always have fresh fruit and, and vegetables. And my mom still did my laundry back then. <laughs> That's, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. People go, oh, but they need a new car. Probably a BMW 3 Series. I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to overdo it. So just the 3 Series, not the AMG. <laughs> you go, no, they need food, shelter, clothing. You can get them transportation. I had a used pickup truck, but guess what? It still got me where I was going. And it worked. And I could, I could park and sleep if I needed to at my college parking lot campus. You do whatever you have to do to survive. I knew it wasn't forever. But seniors, you guys are getting ready to retire, aren't you? Or you already are. So now you have to impart those values to the kids and the grandkids. And parents, you know it. Look, when you come into my office, my third or fourth question or maybe fifth question that I ask is, do you have any children? And right after that, it's, are they good people? Are they good people? We're not on TV. There's not a camera. There, there isn't an audience. It's just you and I. And I will tell you about a third of the time parents stutter. And they say, well, they're okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, three of them are great. One of them is so-so. Or, or I have two of them. One of them is wonderful. One I don't talk to. You guys know. Right? You know which one of your kids. You can't help it. Right? Sometimes they listen to you, sometimes they don't. I have three children. I only wanted to make two decisions for them for their entire life. That's it. I wanted to decide who they were going to marry and what career choice. Both of those, they declined. <laughs> they said, nobody took me up on that deal. And so if I can't be persuasive on my three kids, I go, just two choices, just two decisions. Son, daughter, I love you guys. That's it. You can do the rest. Well, nobody took me on that up on that offer. We're still waiting though. Maybe I hack into that influence on, on grandkids. So you know, if you have children that are decent or not decent, I had one lady, husband and wife, both school teachers, fantastic people, amazing people voted for, uh, they were the head of the union. In fact, in their respective school districts, they're what's called a chapter chair. They were the head of the, the local area. <clears throat> Both of them staunch Democrats. When Donald Trump was running against Hillary Clinton, they thought she was one of the worst human beings, let alone the worst candidates ever. And that was the first time in her entire life she had just retired, first time in her entire life she had voted Republican. So she calls me on the phone, and you know I didn't really make my views known. She wasn't listening to my show. Right? If you listen to my show, you know where I fit because most of you understand it. I can communicate this way. But in my office, it's just a regular office. We talk about the weather. We talk about financial stuff. It's pretty simple. Except she starts hemming and hawing 
well, you know, I don't know who you voted for. And, you know, I don't want to go, listen, if you're asking, I'll tell you, I have no problem. I voted for Donald Trump. I didn't want him to be my next door neighbor. I didn't want to, you know, be his best friend. I just wanted him to fix my country. Right. Does he have mean tweets? Yeah, uh, of course. Obama said dumb things, but he was still my president. I didn't understand this whole craziness, right? This, this far left wing whose job it is to get everybody angry about everything about all the time. They're never happy. There's never like a, woo, we win. And so she goes, Arif, you wouldn't believe it. Me and all my lady friends, we all meet once a week. We have breakfast and we all voted for Donald Trump. We can't believe it. We're all now, we're still registered Democrats, but we voted for Donald Trump. Great. She comes to me just before this and says, uh, my son wants to go to medical school. I go, your son, the 32 year old. She said, yeah, he wants to go to medical school. So I need money to pay for his medical school. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. You're 64 years old. You're going into retirement. You're going to pay that kind of money for your, yes, I am. So I, I said, if you want my opinion on things or you just want me to send you the forms, it doesn't matter to me. I'll, I'll do either way. She said, no, I want your opinion here. If I trust you, you've been our, really our family advisor, not just a financial professional, but our family advisor on ideas and things over the years. Can you help me? Sure. So I went through a list of questions on her son. Tell me what kind of jobs he's done. Has he ever followed through with things? Is he a, a good person? Right. In other words, would he, would he find money on the floor and return it? Or would he say, Hey, those son of a guns lost it. Tough luck. My win. Like, right. I went through these ethical and, and character based kind of questions. And she came back to me with the right answers on everything with an honest approach. And I said, well, then he's your only son. You guys struggled to have him. It took a while. He's going to be your only heir for everything. Financially, I can build the portfolio that you need to have a wonderful lifestyle of income. You're not going to fly around in private jets, though, if we're going to take $300,000 out of your retirement to pay for his medical school. But you guys will be fine. She said, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm like, all right. Today, he's a big-time physician in a hospital in an emergency room. He's the lead physician in the emergency room. And it's funny because he's one of the older guys there. Because he had to go to uh, finish two more years of his bachelor's, then to medical school, and then to specialty, and then on and on. So he's now in his late 30s, if I'm not mistaken. I think late 30s, early 40s. Even though he only has maybe 10 years as a physician, he's considered one of the leaders in the group. And we looked at it at each other. And now, now she's financially doing great. You know, he's paid her back, and on and on. We went through this process, and I said, "You see, that is where you invest the money." not into a person who blows their own cash, right? If somebody goes to work and they waste their money and then they put their hand out and say, now you give me money, how much less respect will they have for the effort that it took for you to make your money than it did for them to make theirs? It's their own time. Just by definition, you can't be that. So bottom line, please be careful with the student loan mess. The Biden administration is going to forgive it, but they're only going to forgive it for these silly colleges and they're never going to do the right thing which is go after these administrators who are living very comfortable lives, who took the money and the dreams of a lot of people. And now you, as a retiree, the only one with money, they're going to take it from you. Probably in property tax, somewhere. Total Financial Hour. Hey, thanks for staying with me. 
Second half of the hour, or uh, second half of the show, I've got some uh, emails for you coming up. Eric Halby, triple eight ninety nine retire. Stay with me on the Total Financial Hour. We'll be right back. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Hey, Learn thanks for staying with me. I'm Eric Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour. Talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for your future. Look, uh, the, the the chaos is just here. The left thrives on it. You understand that. It's the Democrat Party who always has to have something wrong. And that's a very big uh, statement when you look at where America is. When I was in college, I was still a Democrat. I was in college. I remember there was a, a girl out uh, in front with this pro choice thing and they're talking about women's choices and you know hangers using in back alleys and they used all of these horrific things and i'm thinking wow that's that's pretty crazy so i went up and i talked to her she was in the in the foyer in the walkway you know where they give away those visa cards if you sign up you get a free frisbee or a t-shirt uh, join our club for prospecting right that same kind of open quad area so i'm sitting there i had a few minutes so i engaged with her and i said so, so what is this about? She goes, well, it's for pro, you know, we're, we, we want women's access to healthcare. I go, well, well, what's the difference between like the pro-life and the pro-abortion, sorry, the, yeah, pro-life and the pro-abortion. And she looked at me and she goes, we don't say pro-abortion, we say pro-choice. I go, oh, sorry. I honestly didn't know. I just, so, okay. But then I said, so what's the difference? I, I don't know the difference. She goes, well, a woman can choose not to have an abortion. I said, okay, but but what about the dad, right? I mean, I get it. There's some SOB guys out there, but there's a lot of us that really care that would want to know, don't you think? I mean, if if we're involved, right, we had to be there. Wouldn't wouldn't you think you should at least tell me? Or uh, and and so that part of conversation with her really led down the road of me saying, this is not a pro-choice because they didn't give the dad a choice. It's really a pro-abortion confused in a pro-choice banner. Literally, guys, I was 20 years old, 19 or 20 years old, walking through the quad. And I and I thought to myself, wow, I, this is the first time I kind of heard it put that way. And she did it by accident, not on purpose. So I just want to encourage you to kind of keep thinking through this and ask yourself just when is it a baby? When's it, when is it a human life? Right? And if there's legislation, uh, my, my pro-abortion, uh, pro-choice people on the left, there's current legislation in the state of California by your people. Right? If, we're, if I'm supposed to be as a conservative, take responsibility for, those, for the white supremacist people, then you have to take responsibility for the people that are in the state of California legislature right now who are pushing bills that allow up to one and two weeks after a baby's born, this is incredible, to decide the mother and the doctor in the privacy, to decide if they want to end the life of the child. Is that 
that's your side, people. That's your pro-choice people. Yeah, can you can you imagine that? Like, when did that not become felony murder? I'm not that smart. I, I just I'm just thinking through this here with you, right? I'm not a, a, a medical scholar, but only about a, well, a little over ten years in the Los Angeles Police Department did teach me a couple things about crime. Just saying. So I want you to be very careful about this. All right, where you stand. All right, we talked about the exodus from California. Have you not seen, although there is some good news for those of you in California that are taxpayers, there is some, uh, there's some good news. There are other people coming here. It's returning. There are some returning back to California. They're not normally the ones that are paying a lot of taxes, and they usually are walking, coming from the southern border. So they're not coming with U-Haul trucks, so they don't have a lot of stuff. So if you own a storage unit, Right? There's not going to be a lot of competition for that stuff. And we're hopeful that they will come here and do the work that no other American will do. You want to pick lettuce? You want to work in a, in a restaurant? Well, then that's why we need these people. Okay, can you say you, you just dehumanize people? How about instead we say, hey, restaurant, you guys are going to have to pay a living wage. And then you make up, a, you make up what a living wage is. right? Or how about you say, listen, you can't work in a restaurant if you have any family to support, why don't you guys do that? Oh, oh, because you want them to stay for the rest of their life serving in a restaurant, not as a stepping stone through college and working part time and getting through their first years of their career field and on and on. Right. Why wouldn't you want them to move on through that? Because then you don't have any power over them. You want them to be lifelong servant class, Mr. and Mrs. Democrat far left progressive instead of saying this is not your station in life people this is a this is a transition right all of us worked in crummy jobs we did for a little bit for a week a month a year two years some of us a little longer it took us a little longer to get out of school because i had to work part-time and full-time and summers okay well guess what that taught me it taught me hard work isn't that a surprise? Oh, maybe not. So I need you guys to think about this. Many of you that work through where you are today and you're retired, you forget how hard it was to work your way up to your career. Now, intellectually, you remember it because you have memories, you have pictures, you have degrees and, and uh, certificates and whatever. You, you have it intellectually. But where you don't have it is emotionally anymore. You don't have it in the heart. So now you become a retiree and you go, gosh, it's just not this right. Any, you know, it's not this way anymore. I need you to think about this for a second. You are the one with money. You are where you are as a retiree is 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s because of that hard work, because of the eating the, you know, the cold pizza for, for lunch the next day. How many times have you guys, right? I can tell you when my wife and I were dating, we would find quarters. We would scrounge around quarters and other, and maybe a dollar bill here to go and get the three dollar, three for one taco menu or the dollar menu at whatever restaurant. And we'd get six bucks that we'd spend on stuff. And we'd go to the top of a parking structure. And we'd just sit on the tailgate of my car 
and we would eat. And that's our dinner under the stars. We'd usually do that on my lunch break or between different uh, jobs that I'd have to go to or that she'd have to go to or she'd have to go study. Right? She'd go back to her roommates in her apartment. She'd come for lunch, for dinner. Yeah, that's, that's right. It, we weren't thinking about this as, oh, well, this is the only time we're going to see each other ever. No, we said we're building something for the future. So, of course, you're doing this for a tough time in life. Yeah, yeah, of course it's tough. Of course it's not easy. Here's my friends that are retirees. I want you guys to talk about these people. These are Caesar and Emily. Both Caesar and Emily are very important people because they've been clients for a while. So I've gotten permission to tell you about their story here. Dear Earth, my husband and I have been retired about one year and we've moved to Arizona. We sold our house and have extra money left over, about 250000 after the purchase of our new home and we paid in cash. Our, it's our retirement home that we're going to live in forever and it's right outside of Phoenix. We completed our backyard remodel. Now, guys, I want you to know I always fight you a little bit on this because it's literally money that is gone forever because nobody's going to ever pay you for it. You're not going to rent out your backyard. It's gone forever. So just kind of know this. I go, gosh, are you sure you need it? Now, if you're going to use retirement money, that's I should clarify, that's where I'm going to fight you on it. If you're going to use money from the sale of a house, that's fine. Go ahead. Because retirement money costs more to take out to buy something because you have to pay the taxes on it. right? In other words, if you want to buy a $100,000 RV, you have to take out about 150 or 60,000. Give the state and federal government 50 or 60,000 in taxes, net 100, now go buy your RV. So we don't use uh, retirement money for that reason. All right. Now, just so you know, Caesar and Emily were smart enough. They sold their home last year, not on purpose. Nobody knew the market was going to do what it did. Um, and maybe if they held on another few months, they might have made more money. But that's not the point. They did it right. We completed our backyard remodel. We want we want to know uh, what some of the options are for the money that we have left over. That's that two hundred and fifty thousand. All right, Emily is sixty three years old. Caesar is sixty six. He retired from the city of Los Angeles and has a pension of five thousand eight hundred dollars a month. That's pretty good, real good, guys. We need help with his old deferred compensation plan as well. That is $450,000. I have a social security income of 2200 a month. So she is now uh, past the age of 62. So she has chosen to turn on her social security check. Here's the reason why. Because often, if you are, at least under today's law, if you are collecting social security and you have a pension, social security will sometimes reduce the amount that they give you. So she's going to end up with more money today than if she waits, Caesar passes away, she gets a discount of, even if it's $3,000 a month, she would get a discount maybe down to 1200 or something. So at least the amount that she has uh, is guaranteed. We have it today. We know what it is. She can do things with it. And I'll give you kind of my example of what I would do with it here in just a minute. Okay. Continuing with Emily. I have a social security income of 2200 a month. Our current income goal is to have $10,000 a month, but our big concern is inflation and healthcare costs later on in life. We do not have any more debt. Guys, that's awesome news. We love to travel and see our kids who live in California and Colorado. Do we have enough to buy an RV? 
Is there a way to have some of our money turned into what you have said is reliable retirement income? All right, guys, that matters a lot. Let's be clear on this. That retirement, reliable retirement income is a steady stream that comes in, come heck or high water, inflation or stock market crash, it doesn't matter. We're comfortable and safe. Now, their goal is an RV. Do I want them to use 450000 or any of that kind of deferred compensation to pay for that RV? No, I don't. I understand their passion for, for buying an RV and being debt-free. So do we use that 250000 any of that for the, for the RV, knowing that for sure the RV is going to go down in value? That's a for sure thing. We know that, right? The day you buy it, it goes down. So we have to use money that is commensurate with that. Now, can we make sure the rest of her lifestyle is, is covered if something were to happen to him? Yes, we can. Here's how we do it. The city of Los Angeles retiree, because he retired from the city, it means a couple of things. And one of those, believe it or not, is that he gets to have lifetime income. Uh, sorry, lifetime health care. And that lifetime health care may not be the best health care, right? I mean, it depends on what you like, but it is pretty darn good. After Obamacare, it became went from first tier down to, I think, third or fourth tier health care uh, as far as the insurance goes, but it's still really good. Plus, the pension increase, I happen to know this, 3% per year. Now, that's the most you can get. So, for example, if inflation is 2%, then he, he gets 2. If inflation is 4%, he gets 3. Whenever inflation is above 3%, they take that 1% and they bank it, meaning they put it off to the side as a credit for future years. So let's say inflation is 8%, which it is this year. Well, they'll give them a 3% cost of living increase, but there's a 5% missing that we have to fill that gap. That's a lot of money, guys. That's like $300 a month extra that he has to spend and it comes from somewhere. Now, later on down the road, if inflation drops back down to 1% or 2%, then they can give him a, a little bit back, but that's not going to happen for a very long time. Not until we get conservatives and conservatives. I don't mean Republicans, but I mean conservatives. Because we've had Republicans under George W. Bush, and they were just Republic, they were just Democrats with you know a different color tie. They spent more money than they should have. They went crazy. They didn't fix the system. They should have. We would be in a lot better position. So... You know, avoid the Mitt Romneys and uh, the Lindsey Grahams of the day because, in my opinion, they're Republicans, but they're just spending Republicans on that side. So first, uh, my concern is if one of them passes away, for example, if Caesar passes away first, she loses about half of his income. It goes down to about 3000 a month because the retirees, you don't get the same. You don't get 100%. You get about half. But she does get to retain her $2,200 a month Social Security, most likely, or at least a, a third of it, two-thirds of it, rather. All right. Now, guys, when one of you passes away, your spouse the next year has to file income tax as a single person. When they do that, their tax rate is nearly double. That's a huge amount. Because Emily is going to be taxed at a, at a single a person's rate and the income is going to be lower, but she's going to be paying the same or more in taxes at a much higher rate percentage wise. So here's how I would do it. 
I'd like you taking fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand and buying an RV, and I don't mind you having a small payment because ten thousand dollars a month in retirement is a lot of money. I know you think you need it. Maybe there are things that you do, but without a house payment, without any other debt, I think you can absorb a five or six hundred dollar a month for the next ten years, something like that. RV payment. So take fifty thousand, put it as a down payment. Borrow the rest for the next five or six, uh, sorry, for the next uh, 10 years, maybe 12, 14 years, something that kind of is comfortable for you. But here's where I would make the difference. The income tax in Arizona is 5% on everybody. That immediately saves you quite a bit of money because when you leave the state of California, you do not pay income tax in the state of California, even if you were here when you were working even if you saved your your money in your retirement account, even if you have a pension from the state of California. It's based on where you live. So if you are physically in Nevada, physically in Phoenix, physically in Salt Lake City, or then you're subject to whatever the taxes are of that state. Maybe nothing. So what I like is I would take that 450000 and I would move right around mm, something like 250000 of it and I would put it in an annuity, a fixed indexed annuity for somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to 10 to 12 years before we need it to start for income. Quite a long time from now. If we can wait 10 or 12 years, it could be between two and $3,000 a month. So Caesar, we got to keep you alive for two, for 10 years. If we can do that, we've now replaced the loss of income and then some. So we want to make sure that you understand the job of your retirement accounts is to be the backup plan when either taxes increase or the pension income decreases. Because when the pension income decreases, when one of you passes away, you still have the same electric bill. You, you, property taxes don't change, right? Maybe you have a small, small reduction because you're not paying for some food and for some uh, car insurance or something. But by and large, guys, the big, big expenses, most utilities and property tax, it doesn't matter if 10 people are standing on the, on the piece of property or one, the property taxes are the same. It doesn't matter if four of us are in the same room with the light on or one person, the light is the light. The air conditioner is the air conditioner. So I like the idea of putting about 250000 in a longer-term annuity we can still withdraw 25000 a year. So if there's an emergency without a penalty or a fee, you'll still pay taxes, okay? Because an annuity is just a type of retirement account, meaning you can have a retirement account that's in the stock market. You can have a retirement account that owns mutual funds and annuities. You can have a retirement account that owns CDs in a bank, that owns real estate, that owns gold. So the retirement account is just... The, the strategy that the IRS looks at it when it comes to taxes, not the underlying investment choice. So the longer one I have that, that I would recommend is going to be for the 10 to 12 years. The job of that is to give income two to $3,000 a month, maybe longer, maybe Caesar lives 12, 13, 14, 15, and continues. Well, then that income that we're not going to start until he passes away, this is our plan B when he passes away, then we start that income. God willing, it's not for a long time, but, but what if it is? Well, we have a plan B. 
But here's the important part. I like the idea of doing what's called CD laddering. What is CD laddering? Well, you can go for anywhere from three to six months. It's called a rolling liquidity for three to six months. Now, here's where I've, I kind of focus in. I want you to write this down because it's going to get a little bit confusing. What we're doing is we're taking similar amounts of dollars, let's say $50,000, and we're spreading it out on day one. So you walk into a bank or a credit union. I want you to use the highest uh, credit union or bank interest rates you can find. It is not an issue to work with an online one, provided it still has FDIC insurance. Please make sure that. So if you're working with, you know, bank of whatever online, and it's all online, make sure they have FDIC insurance. And then it doesn't matter if you're working with the bank or credit union, but you'll get usually twice the amount of interest. Could be more even. So consider that. All right, here's what I want you to do. You start with a six-month CD. Today, you go in, six-month CD, nine-month CD, 12-month, 18-month, maybe even a 24-month. Now, you get the idea that it, there's six months in between everything. And why I like that is so that as you, as time comes up every six months, from now on, you're only six months away from the next one being ready to liqu liquidate. So when the first six months is ready and you don't need it, you're going to push it out another 24 months. So it's this leapfrog thing that is always happening. Now, the longer you go, the higher the interest that you're going to get paid. And we can use that to just, it stays in the account. You're not going to take it out. It's not a taxable event because it's an IRA. You guys are young enough. And you just do the CD laddering. Now, we can do that with fixed annuities as well. And after the break, the email I'm going to go over with you, that's one of the solutions for them. But if you say, I'm not a fan of CDs or I want to earn higher interest, we can do a laddering. Now, it's a little bit of a longer horizon. But we can do the staggering or this laddering approach with the different fixed annuities where we're getting 2.5%, 3.5%, 4%, right? Where we're, we're structuring it. And every couple of years, we're just pushing some more out to the next time and the next time and the next time. And at any time, if you need them, you can access it. But remember, this is very important. Your health care between now and the time you guys are 65 is primarily going to be your insurance through work. And it covers both of you. But Caesar, you're already 66. So you should have Medicare as a primary. That means your health insurance is secondary. So really, we only have your wife's, Emily's, for just a couple of years, maybe a year and a half. So your health insurance costs are going to drop quite a bit. Because Medicare will kick in. And hopefully you'll have a better plan or good plan. You can choose Medicare Advantage. We always talk about that. Always go to Part C as in Charlie. Pay extra for the A, B, C, and D is the prescription. I want you to have all of those plans. All right? Very important you do that. You can do that enrollment. But guys, you have a pension. Where's the risk? Where's the problem? The way I see it, the problem is if one of you passes away, we lose half of the pension and your tax rates double or nearly double because you're not married filing jointly, you're single. How many of you have looked at your tax returns this year and said, wow, I ended up paying a lot more tax than I thought. 
and the previous year I paid more tax this year than the last year. You realize the Biden administration continually changes these rules and they do so in many cases very subtly. And the left-wing media's job is to not tell you about them. It's to keep you distracted by this crazy time and scream and yell about white supremacy here and scream and yell about, you know, abortion there and, and uh, gay rights there and, and trans something or other there. And we want to celebrate our, our trans. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. You go, wait a second. Most of America couldn't care less. I don't care what you want to call yourself. Just fix my country. I don't care what you want to call yourself. Just stop taxing me on oil. Right. Six, seven dollars a gallon oil. I mean, I mean, gas. Right. Do you understand if the gas tank costs you a hundred dollars every time you pull up? What is the thing that's on your mind at least once a week? Your gas. So they have to make it such a loud noise above and beyond that. The CNNs, the ABCs, the CBSs, they have to really get into this whole crazy yelling and screaming about something that most people say, well, listen, it doesn't really matter to me. Except the gas does and inflation at the grocery store does. So I want you guys to step back into your life. Let people, your politicians know because Caesar and Emily, your biggest risk is not healthcare because the city of LA is going to cover that. Your biggest risk is inflation and taxes. So pay attention to that. Let the rest of the noise go away. And you got a good chance of living a wonderful life in retirement. All right. Bless you guys. Stay with me as we continue the second half hour here. I've got some more emails for you. This one is pretty interesting. I think you're going to really like this because it changes. It's changed my practice in the last 25 years. All right. So it's fascinating. Stay with me. I'm I'm Eric Hallaby. 888-99-RETIRE. 888 888- Nine nine seven three eight four seven. This is the Total Financial Hour on AM eight seventy. The answer. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. The Total Financial. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. The Total Financial Hour. Hey, write this down, guys. July 23rd. July 23rd. It's a Saturday, 10 a.m. The Lemley Theater in Glendale, right on Maryland Avenue. We have the Baby Boomer Dilemma. We have the movie. It's free. It's a chance for you to come take a look. Uh, I think we're even covering parking, so that's a great opportunity for you to come by. Uh, it's about two hours, so so budget yourself. Probably get there at 945 just so you get a good seat. Usually they sell out or we get pretty darn close to selling out. Uh, 9.45, it'll go till around 12, maybe 12.15 by the time we're done. So a little over two hours. Uh, it's important because it's the Baby Boomer Dilemma movie that talks about some of the challenges that are happening to baby boomers. So let's be clear on some of the things that I think are the challenges. Remember, there was about, so in Baby Boomer world, there were 72 million of you guys born. Your parents never put into the stock market, or if they did, very, very little, right? They had pensions. They paid off their home that they moved once, right? If ever. They just bought it and never moved. They put you guys in college. They saved. They put money in the bank. Their retirement consisted of 
hoping that CDs, they would eventually save $100,000 to get a 5% CD withdrawal. They, withdrawal. they would only take out the interest to live on. So they had very little, if anything, in the stock market. Most, if not all, of your life. Now, maybe later on in life they put a little bit in the market, but mostly they didn't because they would have had to physically go down to a broker, and most of those brokers had minimums of 100000 or 50000 or there's even one that advertises on the show uh, or on the station on occasion that they will say, you have to have 250000 or more before we even pay attention to you. I thought, wow, how rude is that? That's, to me, that's kind of rude. I, I don't know. So anyway, we, we just say whatever the companies require, 10000 20000 whatever their minimum, then you're welcome to, to invest you know, or, or save your money or put money with us. So here's what happens. 72, depends on who you listen to, 72 or 77 million baby boomers were born between 1946 and 1964. So now you know why their parents didn't put money in the market because during that period of time, there wasn't really a mechanism to put money in. Well, now... The 70s comes along, mid-70s, we start this thing called a 401k where they start to take money from your paycheck and it goes directly into the market. That really didn't hit, hit the ground running until the 1980s. So a lot of the baby boomers' parents were kind of retired or almost retired, meaning the stock market wasn't that appropriate for them. But now remember this. You guys are putting money into the market through your paychecks and you're making more and more money and there's more and more uh, awareness of the market. You have different uh, websites, and now the internet, you know, starts itself. And uh, the radio, the TV station, and the radio station has every 15 minutes stock market updates, and you start paying attention more. So you're putting money into the market. Now you're putting more money into the market. Now there's this thing called going public and IPOs, and you start paying attention in the 90s, and you're putting money into the market. Well, now you're starting to retire. And by the way, during your working years, right? Remember, you were it was all about me and women's power, and many ladies didn't have children on purpose, or they thought they didn't need them, or they could wait, and then they, then they couldn't. Many guys decided they didn't ever want to get married because they didn't like the way, the, the examples they saw in, in their circles of friends getting divorces, so men losing everything, women losing everything. They said, forget it. So you had the baby boomers, 72 million people, having about 24 million children. But remember, if you're putting money into the market for all those years and now you're getting ready to retire, what do you have to do to those same dollars? You have to take them out of the market. So now, not only are you not putting it in because you're not working, you're actually withdrawing because you needed to eat dinner. So don't worry, your kids are coming behind you and they're put. wait. No, they're not? Huh. Those 24 million kids, it's very difficult, if not impossible, for them to put the same kind of money you were putting in because they have to put in, what, two and a half times what you were putting in just to break even? Because there aren't as many of them. Now, the good news is 24 million people had 43 million kids. They didn't like being the only child. Remember the latchkey kid? Remember baby boomers when you had one child or two children and both mom and dad were working? And and you put on a shoelace the key around the neck, and it was called a, being a latchkey kid because it actually had a name for it. Because you'd come home to an empty house, and you'd have to do your homework or do your chores, and some of you got into trouble, a lot of trouble. 
right? You knew mom and dad were coming home at 5.30. I remember this very well at my neighbor's house because we had to be gone by the time we heard that van coming down the road because you could hear it coming down the street and we weren't allowed to be there. Both my mom and dad uh, were traditional. My mom stayed home, so the whole time we didn't have that kind of thing. But we also never put money in the market. My mom never put money into the market until she started working after all four kids were out of high school. And did she ever start putting anything into the market? That wasn't anything. So here you are as a baby boomer pulling money out of the market to live on. And you had one or two children, maybe. Well, those kids, their job is to put money into Social Security so that you can take money out. There has to be enough there. You know, right? Some of you call it a Ponzi scheme. You can't say that about Social Security, but look it up and see how similar it might be. Well, the same thing with the market. The value has to be there. There has to be enough money coming behind you because primarily for years, the way that people put money into the market was through their paycheck. So when you had two years of people not putting money into the market because they weren't working, Right? They didn't have money. The reaction to the pandemic put people on the government payroll and not on their own effort payroll. So some of them started taking money out of the market. All right, now here's my point. 72 million, 77 million baby boomers, every day 10,000 of them turn age 65. And that will happen for just a little while longer, right? You do 1964 plus 65, so what is that? Uh, 20 something or other, 25, 26. Eventually, all of the baby boomers are going to reach an age where they have to start taking money out of the market. And when they do, they have to sell the, the shares, turn them into dollars, and go buy groceries, pay their bills. So my point is this. If baby boomers are going to live through this retirement change, and we're going to have to wait till these 43 million people put money into the market, right? I, I can do the math and tell you when they're born, and, and you can see, do the math, they're about 40, 45 years of age. You can see when the market was going to collapse. It's, it's a math problem. It's very simple. You can see how long it takes to get the next generation to start putting money back in. The problem is there's a trust gap, Right, the same reason that a lot of the millennials are not buying houses is because in 2008 and 9, they saw their parents lose their home, for bankrupt, foreclose. So they said, why do I want to do that? I can rent. This is somebody else's problem. And besides, I can get a better job in San Francisco. Oh, I got transferred to Denver. Oh, now it's Austin. And they don't have to try to sell their home when it's underwater. They just move. So a lot of that second generation may not be there to buy your house. A lot of that second generation may not be there to put money into the market. So I don't want you counting on what used to be a sure thing for your retirement income. We have to have a plan B and maybe even a plan C, right? See how things shake out, see how the generations change, see how the buying power of that second and third and fourth generation away from baby boomers, see what they see as normal, see what they like. Right In the baby boomer world, right, they required their kids to go to college. Come heck or high water, you're going to school. Those are the kids that came out with a bunch of student loan debt. So now when their children are reaching the age of going to college, they're like, look, man, college didn't do anything for me. Right, I've got a degree in French literature, and I'm working here as a marketing representative. I had to learn everything I needed to know about this job online. I, I didn't learn anything in college. So they're pushing their kids a little bit more towards things like 
trade school or online education or, or schools that are online oriented. So I think that's, this is the shift. I don't know if it's a five year or 10 year time frame for the change to occur, but it's going to occur. And so if you are retiring in your sixties, the chance of this change occurring in the middle of your retirement cycle, well, maybe just maybe we better be prepared for it. So let me read you an email from Janet. She sent this last, uh, last week, two weeks, I think now. Says, Dear Irv, I'm a single lady, I'm 60 years old, and I've worked for my entire life. After graduating college with my master's in business, it's called an MBA, I began working in the same industry that I earned my degree in. I have a pension, a 401k account, it's $2.3 million, by the way, that's a great job, Janet. And I've saved from the very first day of working. I have income from three rental properties, that's fantastic. It's another source, I like it, right? Second, second source of income. That's approximately $5,200 a month. And I have a property manager that handles the day-to-day the day -day operations. Okay, I like that. This is important. I do not plan on starting my Social Security until age 70. And at age 70, it should be right around $3,600 a month. Since I'm debt-free now, I just paid off my house, I think I can live on $7,500 a month. However, I want to have enough money for trips and in case of healthcare needs, my healthcare needs. I want to leave my money in my houses to my nieces and nephews. There are four of them. Is there a way to make this work? Also, I went to my bank a broker. My, her, her broker works in the back of a bank, right? They have these guys with the desks in the back. They're almost never there. Uh, and they always look like you have shoes that are older than them. But nonetheless, I went to my broker uh, who works at the bank, and all he wanted to do was to put my money in the market and charge me fees. The small amount I have with him has already lost half since January. I currently have more than $200,000 in my savings account at the bank. What would you suggest? All right, so we have many little problems here that we've got to solve and make sure they're integrated properly. All right, this is important because by, by pulling a lever on one side, you affect the other side of the transaction. Meaning, in her particular case, she has three rental properties. I'd have to say, let me talk with your tax preparer, your CPA, see if you've been depreciating these properties, and if so, how much time is left? Because rental properties give you what's called depreciation credits, tax credits, meaning, not quite tax credits, but tax write-offs, meaning you could earn income from sources other than the rents, tax-free, and in this case, if they're residential, for 27 and a half years. I'm not going to get into all those details right now, but just know that there's some credits that you get that you have to apply properly to your tax return. And let's say she still has time left with that. Well, that's good news. We might make some adjustments on that. Okay. I like the idea that a property manager handles the day-to-day -day operations. I might say, what's the cost of the property manager? Is it worth it for you? Do you want to get involved? Do you care about, you know, now that you have a bit more free time, do you want to get involved in that? Or is that just something you don't care about? You're not concerned about because the costs alone for property manager, it's right around 10%. So here's a, a good example. If you have rental income, let's say your rental income is $10,000 a month between three properties. That's not unlikely. That's $3,000 per plus or minus, right? 
then she's paying over a thousand dollars a month to have that property, those properties managed. Now, if she says, Eric, my time is not worth that, right? I just sit around and <laughs> watch TV and eat bonbons and okay, well, fine. Maybe we should start learning real estate. But let's say she says, Eric, I, I volunteer. I sit on boards. I, I like to travel and walk. Well, then that thousand dollars is worth it. She's buying something and she's receiving something back called time. All right. So I'm going to assume that we're not going to get involved in that. But I would certainly ask you that question, Janet. Is that something you want to do? Are you aware of what it takes to do that? Is that something you want to eventually phase out of the property manager and phase in to your own lifestyle? You get to decide. All right. I like the idea that you don't plan on starting Social Security till age 80. Whomever told you that is a really smart person, or at least in this area has figured it out. Because I want you to keep Social Security as long as possible because the only person who gets Social Security in your life, unless you, unless you marry, is you. So why not get the highest amount possible? Because between now and then, we know that Social Security will increase about 8% a year. So that 8% increase is much higher than most financial instruments can give you as a guarantee. So why not get that guarantee as long as possible, provided you could still eat dinner? and pay your bills. And you can. That 2.3 million is more than enough to do it. So here's what I would do. I would take $300,000. I'd set it to the side in a short-term money market account. Now, what's the job of this money? Remember, the job of the money determines the place of the money. If you're going to have that $300,000 and its job is to, you know, double by the weekend, well, you're going to go to Vegas and try it right? But it's not. The job of this money is to give you a monthly income stream for a very, very long time. In fact, for the next 10 years. Because your pension itself is 5,200, sorry, your uh, income from your rental property is $5,200 a month. So what I need to do is replace the difference between 5,200 a month and $10,000 a month, but I only need to do that for the next 10 years. Because after that, a big part of that difference called Social Security is going to be made up. Or it's going to be made up of Social Security, right? So I like 300000 We're going to use a short-term money market account. Its job is to solely provide that income of $2,300 a month. I'm going to increase that income at 5% a year until age 70. Now that makes a huge difference. Because at $7,500 a month, if you can live on that now, and the $10,000 that I'm talking about is going to be in a decade from now because I want it to increase with inflation, I have more than enough money to make that work. I need $2,300 tomorrow, next month. That $2,300 that's coming in each and every month fills the gap between $7,500, your rental properties. We're going to increase it 5% a year. And that 300000 is more than enough to make it happen. Then what I would do is at age 70 years old in 70 minutes, boom, we turn on Social Security. Then, between now and then, I'd put a million dollars in a medium to longer term fixed indexed annuity. It has a bonus, meaning a matching. So when you put in money, they're going to put in money. And they'll put in not quite, but almost as much as you're going to spend in the next 10 years, meaning the insurance company is going to match your money anywhere between 15 and 
And guess what? You can even begin withdrawing, if you need it, for emergencies, $100,000 a year beginning next year, if you need it. Right? If you don't, well then, it just keeps growing. Now, if you take out more, and it isn't for long-term care or medical issue, right, if you didn't pass away, something like that, then they're going to charge you fees. It's called a surrender charge. Usually starts high and goes low. It's kind of a, a declining surrender charge. So anything you withdraw over 10% has a fee associated with it. So you just have to make sure. With us... And with most of the, if not all the accounts that I use, there isn't a monthly, quarterly, or annual fee that doesn't work that way. If you're in the stock market, you have a much higher potential for a rate of return of even higher than I could ever get you. But the rate of return inside of the market comes with a downside. It's never locked in. It's never guaranteed. It goes backwards and you charge a fee. So let's say the most I can make you is seven or eight or 10% and the market does 20. Well, you could get all 20 there with me. You're not going to make more than 10. But if the market drops the very next day, that 10% is locked in and guaranteed. With them, it's not. So do you want to make between 0 and 10%? All right, 0 and 15, something like that? Or do you want a potential for a much higher return, but you could also lose? My thing for, for you that I would look at is very simple. I think you've already run the race. You've already done everything you need to do. Because out of the $2.3 million, this is $1.3 million. So then I would take the other million and I'd ask you, you know, what do you want to do with it? We, we can do all sorts of things with it. Put it for medium-term income. Uh, put it into an account that pays you a monthly fee right now or, or a monthly payment rather right now. So you just get a paycheck each month and we use that to buy the RV. We use that to buy the vacation home. We use that to donate to charity. You can use it for whatever you want to do. Every month it comes in, you know you can spend it on something fun, frivolous, exciting, and never run out of money. Because you're going to have equity if you don't already in those rental properties. So you have access to other chunks of money as time goes on. But making a difference in the world, because you're 60 years old, and you spent your whole life making a difference. And guys, you know that I abbreviate these emails, and I do so because, well, certainly for time and sometimes privacy. But Janet, you rose to a pretty high level in your career field. And that means people know you. They know who you are. You made a big difference. To go from being in demand and asking your opinion on things on an hourly probably basis to today being retired and not. Look, we all want vacation. We all want the wind down period. I just need you to have purpose. Something where you wake up in the morning, somebody looks at you, or counts on you to be there. Just like if you were to, you know, let's say it's 10 o'clock and you're volunteering at the senior center, right? You walk in and people say, oh, Janet, I'm so glad you're here. We've been needing you. We want you. We're trying to. We want your opinion on. Those things matter. You can, even now, guys, look, you know it at work. Some of you, most of you may not even like your jobs. I get it. But there's something inside of you that goes, wow. Without me, they couldn't do this. They need me for this reason. I'm the only one that knows this. I just don't want you to lose that when you retire because whatever your bad habits are, and this is everybody, whatever your bad habits are, you do more of it. 
meaning if you like to eat and snack on junk, you're going to eat more and snack more on junk. If you like to watch a little bit of TV, you're going to watch a lot of TV. If you smoke a little bit, you will smoke a lot. If you drink a little bit, you will drink a lot. Right? I mean, you, there's no way to finish the bag of M&Ms or the bag of chips when you're going, 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 going. But if you're sitting around watching TV all day, you can finish the bag of chips and the bag of M&Ms and not even know you did it, right? Or the half a gallon of ice cream, whatever whatever your poison is, as we say. So keep that in mind. I want to jump here one more time. That Baby Boomer movie, I need to give the phone number out. The Baby Boomer Dilemma movie is the 23rd of July. You have to call. You have to be on the list, right? This is 23rd of July. It's in Glendale. Give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE if you want to attend. 888-99-RETIRE. There's limited seating because it's a theater. All right. Parking is covered. I believe completely covered. If not, it might be a dollar or something, but the movie's free, popcorn. Um, you have a little drink, probably some little snacks. A little gift bag as well, guys. If you, if you come in, you get a little gift bag. That's on the 23rd of July at 10 a.m. Get there a little early around 9, 9.15, uh, sorry, 9.30, 9.45. And I want you to give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE. I might be able to help you because part of this process is for you to learn your specific situation, not everybody else's. This is yours. Not just, uh, you know, the general one out there. So sometimes when you call, I can help you with a Zoom call or you can meet me at one of my offices. I have one in Glendale, one in Simi Valley, one in uh, Newhall, Santa Clarita area. So our goal is to be able to see, can we fit? Is there something I can do to help? My very first thing is to say, do you want some or part of your money in a safe place protected from the market declines? If the answer is yes to that, then maybe I can help you with some or part of your account. What I don't want you to think is everything belongs everywhere, you know, in one place all the time. You know it is, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Remember that story? Right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Here's the reason. Where does that come from? Because on the farm, when you used to sell eggs, especially if you walked them from the chicken coop down to the street, on one of those little farmer's market tables, as people would drive by, they'd buy fresh corn, they'd buy whatever. Well, they'd also have your eggs. And if that was a big part of your family's income and you're walking from the chicken coop to the street and you trip and fall, well, you lost the entire days of egg income, right? Tough luck. Sorry. Come back tomorrow. So you have to protect your family's wealth. You want some for safety. You want some for emergence, emergencies. You want some for access, liquidity, and fun. We have to protect it so you have a wonderful retirement. I'm Eric Hallaby. Thanks for being a part of the show. 888-99-RETIRE. 888-997-3847. You can always reach out to us Monday through Friday. And even sometimes on the weekends, I'll pick up. You guys know I'm working late and sometimes filling in. I'm here for you. I'll answer your question. Triple eight ninety nine retire. I'm Eric Hallaby. Enjoy the week. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.